Thank you for listening to Willamette Community Church's sermon series online. Join us as Pastor Scott continues our discussion on biblical maturity. Good morning. We're going to continue in looking at this idea of maturity. And so I hope you have your Bibles with you today. We're going to look at this idea that what God does is he wants to save us and rescue us. And then what he does is he says, I want to work in you to mature you, to complete you, so that uh, you will be glorifying me in the most possible way, and so that you will make a difference in the world that you're living in right now. And the theme I want us to consider today is this, simply if you have your notes there, it says this, trusting God when things don't make sense. Trusting God when things don't make sense. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. Page 31, if you want to use this Bible sitting in front of you, the one I'm using here. In the last two weeks, we've, as we started talking about maturity, we looked at a couple things, and I want to quickly review those. One, two weeks ago, we looked at the idea that we must understand more of who God is. This is part of our maturity Understanding more of who this God is. And this is a lifelong pursuit. You don't come one Sunday, figure this out. But this is something daily. Who is this God? And as you spend time reading his word and uh, you go to gatherings like this, you spend time understanding more of his heart. Even that last song, understanding more of his goodness. One of the songs we sang, how great is our God. And and so our life is just on this trajectory of understanding more and more of his greatness. Last week, we then looked at the idea that to grow in maturity, we must also understand more of who we are. We have to do some introspection in life, understand that, yes, we are a product of the fall. We have broken parts to us. Certainly, we are recipients of God's grace, as we looked at last week. But we have to understand ourselves, understand our past and how that affects today and how that would affect tomorrow and the coming days. And so we talked about understanding these things. But today I want us to look at this idea that in order to grow into maturity, we must trust God when we don't understand. We're supposed to seek to understand more of God, seek to understand more of ourselves, but there are certainly things that we do not understand, things about God, things about ourselves, things about our world. And in those moments, we are called to trust, to trust when things don't make sense. And today I want to look at the story of a man named Joseph. Last week we looked at his dad, Jacob. Today I want to look at this man, Joseph. And really the last quarter of the book of Genesis is focused on this character, Joseph. And so hopefully you have your Bibles. Let's look at Genesis chapter 37 because you're going to see in the life of Joseph that there's a massive resemblance, his life and ours. We share a resemblance with him. As you hear his story, as you read his story, you'll say, I resonate with that. His life is like my life. So follow along, if you would, as I read some of this from Genesis chapter 37, page 31. I'll start at verse 1. It says this, that Jacob lived in the land of his father, in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations or the account of Jacob. Joseph, his son, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. 
He was a boy with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them and to their father. He brought a bad report of his brothers. Verse 3, it says, Now Jacob, also Israel, some of your Bibles will say Israel. We talked about that last week. Jacob, or Israel, he loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. Many of you are going, oh yeah, that guy. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph, it says, had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. I want to stop right there and just unpack some of the things that are going on in Joseph's life. He's 17 years old. We know that his dad has been loving him more than the brothers. Let me just quickly share four thoughts as I read those first five verses. Joseph, he's born into this family, this family that has favorites. That would always create problems, wouldn't it? I'll put it this way, Joseph and with us, and I will always tie us with Joseph today, we all are born into dysfunction. Joseph was. Joseph was born into this mess where right away his dad said, I love him more than the other sons. You could start writing down the ways that you were born into dysfunction in life. We all have that to some degree. Joseph has this. I go to verse 2 and I see how Joseph now as a 17-year-old, what he did, it says he starts tattling on his brothers. There's some problems going on here. Put it this way, Joseph and with, with us, we all have our own sins. Here's this 17-year-old. He's not necessarily mature yet. But he has his sins against his brothers. He knows he's a favorite. He's tattling on them. We have done things like that. And it it wasn't just when we were 17. We're doing those things today when we're above 17. Then I look at verse 4. It says the brothers, and he had 11 of them, they hated Joseph. And that had to have hurt to have all this hate pointed toward you. And to put it this way, Joseph, and with us, we all have people who have hurt us. And you can make a list of that today. I wouldn't recommend it too much because it's going to send you in a spiraling downward. But we all have people who have hurt us. Sometimes there are people in this room. There are people sitting next to us, the people in our own homes. But this is a problem Joseph had that we have. And then I look at verse 5, and it says this, that Joseph had a dream. Joseph had a dream. I was wondering about this dream. This wasn't even brought on by him. He just wakes up one day and says, I had a dream. I had a dream last night, too. I had a couple dreams, and, and I woke up, and I thought, man, where, where's my mind? I, the first dream I thought is I, I came here, and I had to fix a bunch of things in this building, and I got here today, and I went, no, I don't. That was just a weird dream. Why did God allow that into my mind? And as I look at this, I I think, you know what? God allowed, maybe even gave, this dream to Joseph. And so to put this way, I think with Joseph and with all of us, we all have thorns that God allows in our lives. I put thorns in quotes here 
This idea that God allowed something to Joseph and he shared it then with his brothers and they hate him all the more. And he probably could have gone back and said, God, I didn't ask for this. Somehow you put this in my head. But God allowed this thorn. Imagine Joseph, even with this dream, he's saying things like, I don't understand, Lord. Where'd this come from? I was thinking of the Apostle Paul, and I'd ask you to write this passage down. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul speaks of a thorn. He says, something I did not ask for. God allowed this thorn into my life. I did not want it at all. In fact, I asked God to remove it multiple times. And God said, you know what? My grace, my overall goodness, my undeserved favor to you is going to be sufficient. That's enough. I'm going to allow you to have this difficulty. And Paul says, okay, I learned that this is part of my weakness and I will embrace this because when I find myself weak, my only thing to do is to go to God and say, you strengthen me. And Joseph had this thorn as well. And as I look at Joseph's story, I think... We probably could all say this. We come from some dysfunction. We all have sins in our life. We've all had people who hurt us. And God has allowed certain things that we just say, God, I don't understand why you allowed that. It was hurtful. It was painful. I don't get it. I just don't understand. And in Joseph's story, it goes on to say, and we won't read this all, but his brothers, out of hate for them, they sell him into slavery. They sell him and he ends up in Egypt. And I got to be thinking, Joseph is asking questions like, why, Lord? And he could have looked back and said, you know what, it's the dysfunction of my dad. It could have been my own sins. It could have been the brothers that hurt me. But somehow, God, you allowed this. I mean, you gave me this dream and I said it and I don't understand. Go to chapter 39, if you would, because I want to read more of Joseph's story to you. Genesis chapter 39, and at the start of that chapter, it says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Verse 2, it says that the Lord was with Joseph. If you're an underliner, underline that, that the Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man, and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. Verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him. That is Yahweh specifically. The master said, somehow I understand and I see that this Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, is with you here in Egypt, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made Joseph overseer of the house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that Potiphar made Joseph overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord, Yahweh, blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So I'm looking at this story, I noticed one thing, and I want us to write it down and consider it today, is this, that we always have God with us. 
This was said for us of this account to understand that God was always with Joseph. He's not in his regular land. He's been sold. He's not a part of the family. He's gone. But the Lord was with Joseph. And I want you to know that the Lord is with us. He's with you. He's with me. He's with us. To the point that when Jesus is told of his coming, it says, God will come and his name shall be Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. That there is going to be one, the Son of God, and he will come and he will walk around as God with us. He will pay for our sins. That is God with us. This Savior Jesus, he is God with us. Those of you who have trusted Jesus as your Savior, His Spirit has come to be with us. Today He's with you. Not just because you're in this building, because He is with you through faith in Jesus. And as you leave here today, He is with you. And Joseph was understanding of this. Story goes on that one day Potiphar's wife falsely accuses Joseph of some inappropriate activity. All right, Joseph had done nothing wrong, but Potiphar's wife, she accuses him. Word gets back to the husband, Potiphar, that Joseph had done this, though he hadn't. And Joseph gets in big trouble. Keep reading with me. Go to verse 19. He says, as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. Potiphar, his anger was kindled. Verse 20 And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. This is Joseph now in prison. Check this out, verse 21. Underline this one. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. I look at that and I go, oh, that's a nice thought that though he's in prison, the Lord is with him. And though the Lord is with him, he has favor with the prison guard. But I'm kind of thinking, God, if you would be really with me, I'd prefer that I not end up in prison or become real friendly with prison guards, right? I mean, if you're with me, can you keep me out of prison? If you're with me, can I be friends with somebody other than the prison guard? But Joseph ends up here and we read that the Lord was still with him. Verse 22. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because why? The Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. See, why was was Joseph in prison again? Because Potiphar's wife had accused him. Joseph had done nothing wrong at this point. And this is where he ends up. And one of the things I notice as I read this, and I think Joseph's story is similar to ours, is Joseph experiences a great injustice. And frankly, we all at times experience injustice. We all do. I've heard a lot of your stories, and it's just, you know, I was a part of something, and that was not fair. And we can all say that at times. That wasn't fair. Joseph is experiencing this as well. 
And when you have those times where that wasn't fair, sometimes you probably said to God, I don't understand what's going on. And as I think of injustice, I want you to know that you're not the only one who's experienced this, and Joseph isn't the only one, but Jesus experienced injustice, didn't he? I want you to consider this passage in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 it says this, that he committed no sin. That's Jesus. No deceit was found in his mouth. And yet when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. He's treated unjustly. unjustly. He's being crucified for not his sins, but our sins. And it says, instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. That's our Jesus. Even in injustice, you see, there's an opportunity for maturing. Are we going to fight for our way or are we going to entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly? And as followers of Jesus, we will mature when we respond as Jesus did. Well, Joseph was suffering. He was in jail, partly because God allowed troubles in his life, partly because God allowed these thorns. But partly Joseph suffered this, and partly you and I suffer injustices because we have an enemy. We have an enemy, right? It's not each other. It's not the government. It's the devil, We have this enemy, and I would say this also, that we all are under an attack of the enemy. Every single one of us are under an attack of the enemy. We know this in John chapter 10. This is what Jesus said of the enemy. He says, he calls him the thief. He says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's his plan. It was his plan for Joseph. It was his plan for Jesus, and it's his plan for every single one of us. But there's an enemy who wants to destroy us, and he wants to steal everything good in our lives, and he wants to kill us, and he's going to do everything in his power. And there will be times we say, I don't understand, but Jesus trusts himself to the Father. Part of your maturity and my maturity will be to trust ourselves to the Father. Well, eventually, 13 years later, after being sold into slavery, 13 years, Joseph now is 30 years old. He becomes a leader in Egypt. He gets out of prison. He becomes a leader in Egypt, and God allows a great famine in Israel. People in Israel say, well, where are we going to go? Actually, it sounds like things are pretty good in Egypt. And so Jacob, Israel, he sends his sons down there to Egypt to find some food, to get some help. You can read this story. Write this down, chapters 41 and 42, and you can read this story about how there's a famine and, and how they make their way down to Egypt. And there's a confrontation between Joseph, who has been mistreated, with his brothers, with his family. And the story goes that there's confessions and there's forgiveness And God spares the family of Jacob. God spares the family of Israel through his son who was left for dead. (laughs) Great irony, but God saves through this son who was left for dead. It's really the story of Jesus, isn't it? That God saves through his son that is crucified. 
Look with me at Genesis chapter 50. Let's just flip over there and get to the end of this story real quickly. And again, I would encourage you to read this on your own this week. I'm just giving you the fast version of this. Genesis chapter 50. Go to verse 20. Get to the, near the end of that chapter. When there's a conversation between Joseph and his brothers, Jacob eventually passes away. It says this in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me. This is what Joseph said to his brothers. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive. So they are today. So do not fear, brothers. I will provide for you and your little ones And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And somehow, Joseph, when he was saying, God, I don't understand, I don't understand, it was working out for good. Not just Joseph's good, not just his family's good, but the saving of many lives. You can read this story, then it goes into the book of Exodus, and all of a sudden God is going to do a massive rescuing effort. But it took this plan that everybody else was going, I don't understand it. And as I'm looking at the life of Joseph, 13 years of heartache, 13 years of anger, 13 years of sins, and yet God was working all along. I don't know if you're thinking about your life and your man, it's been 13 years, it's been longer than that. And I want you to know God is working a plan. And eventually Joseph realized, he said, whoa, God has been working a plan. This is, this is all part of his great plan. It's a much larger story. And I think as Joseph's learning this, you and I have to learn this as well, that we are all part of God's redemptive story. We all are a part of his redemptive story. He's writing a story. And it might be a season or 13 years or a whole lot longer, but God is working a story. His son was crucified, but he was working a story, a redemptive story to rescue, to save. But in the middle of that story, you and I, we sit there and say, I don't understand this, God. We don't understand. And he goes, you got to trust me. you got to trust me. We certainly don't understand what he's doing at times. Frankly, most of the times, right? It's like, what are you doing? But here's what I want you to hear, that God will grow us into maturity as we continue to trust him. He will. He'll grow our faith and our character as we continue to trust him, especially when we don't understand. This is what God's doing. In every single one of our lives, he's saying, I I understand that you don't get it. I want you to trust me when you don't understand. And this is part of our maturing process. I want to take a few moments today to personalize this uh, message. Because as I have looked at that story, that is personal for me. It's personal for our staff for our elders, and I'm going to ask a couple guys to join me up on the stage as I conclude this message today, and I want to take some family time. I'm going to invite Pastor Mike to come up and our elder chairman, Brian Rosen, to come up with me. This story of Joseph 
as I said, is each our story. Mike have this first. It's each our story. Some of our story as a church, and some of you have been here for a while, you know this story, but three years ago we had a fire here. And we felt like before the fire came, we were humming. We were doing well. Things were good. And then all of a sudden, this building gets damaged. And it wasn't the only thing that got damaged. We've used the word trauma around here because all of a sudden, it not just hurt a building, but it strained relationships. And I was trying to do this, and Mike became really a facility manager of this, and and there were a lot of strained relationships with our staff, with our elders. It's been a tough three years. Many times I've asked, God, I don't understand. I don't understand. I sit there and go, yep, we got a new building. It looks good. But God, it came at a cost. Because we're fighting more than we were ever fighting before. And we're disagreeing like we never disagreed before. And over the last year and over the last months, we've asked that question, Lord, uh, what, what are you doing? We don't understand. And I'll be the first to admit that I've had sins. I have hurt. I've hurt this guy. I've hurt this guy. I've hurt all of our staff who've worked over the last three years. I've hurt our elders. We've all been on edge with each other over this thing. And in the last year, specifically last month, we've had discussions. And we just said, God, what are you doing? Could we get back to a pre-fire existence where we all get along and we're all on the same page? And we've tried it. And it's failed, and we've tried again, and it didn't work. And after much prayer, and after much work, and after much discussion, the elders have said, okay, we're going to have to make some changes. But we want to do this where we seek peace. We want to do this where uh, we take care of the church. We want to do this in a very uh, united way. But this week, our elders and uh, Pastor Mike, we came to a mutual agreement and said, uh, some changes need to be make, made. And, and we said, okay, Mike, we want to, and I'm going to have you hear some of his story too, but part of this is, Mike, um, we want to give you time. We want to give you resources to uh, help you pursue some things that you're pursuing, because we were all struggling. This isn't a Scott thing. It's not a Mike thing. It's not... It's a, God, I don't understand why you allowed this thing. But with that, I want you to share some of your story in this too, please. Yeah, so uh, thanks for giving the background there, Scott, on the fire. It, was, it has been very challenging, and uh, yeah, it's been very hard. Um, I'd say one of the most interesting things was that when we went to on some vacation, uh, came back and realized that in that period of time, uh, both of us decided this is something the Lord is probably provoking in a move in different directions. I didn't know what Scott was thinking. He didn't know what I was thinking on that. And it just happened that we really had the same thoughts. So in one sense, that was comforting, that there was a sense of separate decisions and that we would begin to look for another church. So we've kind of worked to figure out how to do that in the most peaceable manner, how to separate in a peaceful way, because I think that does reflect our hearts. And how does it happen in the way that honors each individual, that honors the healthiness for a church as well? And 
instead of some sudden disappearance one day and then there's all these questions and then there's all this quiet talking and what if we could do this in a way that is out in the open and, and transparent and, and being seen and, and supportive of the process. And so that's kind of where we have come and uh, look for then some space for us. We're going to have some space that we're going to end up calling a, a sabbatical, and Brian will talk about that a little bit more, but we'll be, have some space, and, and we're going to look for a, a different ministry position during that time. We're still going to be a part of this church. We're still going to be here and uh, whatnot, but there is space to recognize that God is using this in ways that are somewhat confusing and, and sad, and they have hurt, and they have pain, and they have sorrow, but we also have submission to what he's doing, and, and we'll do that. Uh, let me answer just a couple questions that have come up in different contexts over the past bit, questions that I think are good for us to just recognize are out there. The first is this. Uh, I can't, you know, there's you end up talking with a few people that you have certain relationships with, but one of them is, why can't you just work this out? Hmm. Why can't you just work this out? And uh, I want to read to you just a small bit from Acts here. And there arose a sharp disagreement, hmm. so that each separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. You know what's so interesting about this story? We know they argued about Barnabas' cousin, John Mark, but we really don't know the details. 2,000 years later, we don't know what the argument was about. We don't, I've heard people preach that Barnabas was right and Saul was wrong or Paul. I've heard people preach that Paul was right and Barnabas was right. But the Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't say. The story you and I have is there was a sharp disagreement. We know a little bit of the context. And it just ends, they went different ways. And so why can't you work this out? I don't really know all the way. But we'll just go by, commended by the word of grace, separate ways. And uh, in a sense, different direction is what I mean by that. Um, Another question, haven't you been friends for a long time? Yeah, a long time. What does that mean? Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I don't think that we're parting as enemies. I think it's been really hard. I think there'll be another day in the future. I think it's a little painful right now. Sometimes you, uh, sometimes you have a, an injured leg and you splint it up so that they don't bang against each other, right? Or you put a cast on your arm. And, and I think that there's some of that going on. But you know what? I think that it will uh, turn to good in the end. But it's painful. It's hard, but you know what? Here's the reality. There are certain dynamics that even elements of friendship, they just don't overcome easily. The other one is this. Uh, wouldn't pastors be able to resolve this? Wouldn't pastors? You know, the implicit question there is, why should I trust pastors? Boy, this happened to me once before, or I knew it. It just looks like this is all pretending up there, and you know what? Uh, what if we said this? What about the apostles, Paul and Barnabas? Right? What about the apostles? They sharply disagreed. They tried. We don't even know all the efforts. You know what? Sometimes I think what we have a tendency, and, and those of us who are ministers, here's what we realize. Sometimes people think that we're ministers because we live life better. That isn't true. We have the same broken places that you do. 
the same self-centeredness, the same anxiety and fear, the same anger, the same unforgiveness. So being called to be a minister is really being called to live in the gospel, to live in the gospel with who we are, to learn to put our broken places out in the open. Our lives are publicized in some sense. None of you have to do, if, if you have an argument with a friend or you have something to work, you won't ever have to stand up in front of the church and talk about it, right? Some of being a minister is not that you have better places in your soul. That really isn't the truth. It's that you are learning and you are willing for God to take your soul and put it out there and that you learn to live in Jesus with all of your broken things, with all of your broken things. So it's a mistake to think that pastors don't have difficulties. It would be a mistake for you to have put your hope that your goodwill and blessing from God rests upon any individual pastor or church. The truth is that it is the grace of God that comes to you and I with blessing. So let me say a couple things just in a concluding way in a sense. The first, whew, I want you to know that we love you. We want you to know that I love you. I'm going to be the one leaving. And so I want you to know how much I have loved serving you. And uh, this isn't an ultimate goodbye because we'll be here for a season, but it feels a little bit like this is the right time to say some of those kinds of things. Um, I want you to know that uh, Melissa and the kids, this is hard on us also. It's hard on um, other families as well, but she's going to continue to do children's ministry here for the next season as we seek a transition. And so I want you to know that we really are committed to here. We're not, there's not something secretive being hidden here some secret scandal. She's going to continue and do children's ministry and, and look forward to doing that as well. Uh, what do you say to us afterwards? What do you say to any of us afterwards? Well, let me ask you this. I would say this. Uh, come and speak words of comfort grounded in Scripture, grounded in God's Word. Because this, if you prod and poke after details, I think it'll just be disappointing. Rather, could you be comforting with a divine plan? Not detailed prodding, but a divine plan. You'll notice my little DNP there. I just can't get away from alliterizing things, right? There's a divine plan. And I think that's what you could comfort us with. Even the words that Scott preached today, there is good that God has determined to do through sins, through circumstances, through all kinds of things. That's what we need to be comforted with. We have made a commitment to one another. It's not our intention to bring uh, telling different stories. We want to pursue unity and health, enough transparency that you know what's going on. It's not the time to hang out dirty laundry. That's, that's not the point. But So details are, are not what we really want to end up focusing on, but that there is a divine plan, and we want to pursue that peaceably. And then the last thing is this. I want you to know our heart. And that is that we want blessings. We want blessings on you. We want blessings on Scott and his ministry here. I want you to know that I think he is called to be your pastor. I think I am being called to go somewhere else. I don't want you to think that I secretly have other thoughts. I don't. I don't. Okay? So I want you to know that. I've run out of notes, and this is hard. So I'm going to stop there. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Mike. I want to say, uh, similar to what Mike had said, we love you. I love you. 
and it, it's, it's sad, but also I love you, and I love this body. And as Scott has preached, we don't understand all of this at the time, but we're called to walk through it, and we're going to walk through it together. I just want to share a couple of things about what this looks like. Uh, he used the word sabbatical. It, it's, it's kind of a funny word in, in the context of what we're doing here, but we're going to honor that in giving him a time of a season of rest and uh, planning as he transitions. And so really what is Scott went on sabbatical, we released him of duty. And so Mike will have that same setup. He will be released of responsibilities and duties. Uh, you may see him here. You may not see him here. He may choose to attend a different church. Um, he's preached a couple of times in the past few months at other churches. So he's free to be here or not be here. But his duties have been released. As he mentioned, this is also a transition for his family. He mentioned Melissa is still on staff with the children's ministry. And so I would ask for your continued prayers for the Millicent family as, as they seek this transition together. He, he did have functions, and so some of those things will transition. We will carry that ball together. The elders will help in some of that, and the staff will, will continue on with the ministries here at Willamette Community Church. So if you have questions, please contact the staff on that. And lastly, we have a huddle in about a month, and we'll continue to keep you posted as, as Mike walks through this process. We want to walk through it with him. So there'll be uh, a couple of different times, hopefully, where we can give you updates on, on the transition. Hmm. And with that, let us pray. Hmm. Jesus, we need you. Um, as as God has preached today, we walk through these things not always understanding, and yet that word trust, we do trust you. We hope in you, and we lean to you. And so as our church walks through this transition, yes, there is sorrow, but there's also hope and excitement for what you will do. The same as we had in the fire. We didn't know why, but we trusted you that we would come through the fire so I pray for our, our staff, pray for Mike and his family, pray for Scott and his family, and I pray for this congregation. As the sermon was delivered today, we all walk through trials, and so I just pray that we all continue to trust in you who knows the best for each of us. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. <laughs>